0: Have you ever wondered what the world would look like following the apocalypse? You know, you can read the Revelation and you can kind of conjure these things up and maybe you went to a church where you actually had these big graphs and the teacher would teach and tell you exactly what the big toe on the beast in the book of Daniel meant and all that kind of stuff. And you can get all these kind of images of what it may look like. And then every now and then Hollywood may put something out. But I think when the book of Eli came out, the movie, the book of Eli, I think they kind of captured something here. They captured a, a glimpse of what maybe it might look like post-apocalypse, post apocalypse, post. The end of times in the tribulation period of what the world may look like if you interpret the book of Revelation like that after the great war, and when you sit there and you see how the world looked and acted and behaved in the in the carnage and the and the pillage and the and and the raping of the earth and mankind, it was a very desolate place. And this movie is cast and kind of takes place in in 2043. Now. If you're first time with us today, I don't, don't normally do movie reviews, but uh, I wanted to just give you that. I, I just got to think, I jumped into this movie review before I, I prefaced. Those are the first time with us, you did not come to Hollywood Movie Review Day, okay? But we do, uh, we do do a series once a year, kind of centered on messages that may be in the movies. And one of those movies was the book of Eli. The book of Eli had such a great story to it. And I think it really kind of helps you to step forward. And it's as if the Great War or the Apocalypse happens now. And, and, and 2043, 30 years or so later from that, is whenever you find Denzel Washington walking the streets. And carrying with him a very prized possession. This prized possession was, in the movie scene, the only known copy of the Scriptures After the Great War, they had burned all the copies. They had gotten rid of all the copies of Scripture. In fact, many of the books were gone and people had become illiterate in in, in that post-apocalyptic era of time. And and Denzel Washington carries with him, Eli in the movie, carries with him that prized possession. He's guarding it with his life. He's guarding it to the end. Uh, and, And thus, at the very end, you understand how it's the book of Eli. And I'll come to that in just a few moments. But there's one character in there, the bad guy, his name is Carnage, appropriately named that. And as you think about this guy, this guy is the mean guy, the evil guy in the movie, and he wants what Denzel has. He doesn't know Denzel has it until on into the movie a little bit, but he, once he figures it out, he's in an all-out pursuit to get the book, to get the book of Eli, to get the Bible. And as they're out after this, I sit here and I watch this movie, and it was like, oh, that, that clip, oh, that clip, oh, there's so much in this movie that I've got to bring to the table. But I don't have time to bring it all. But I want to come and I want to just share with you today and ask the question, how do we handle this book? When you look at post-apocalyptic, no Scriptures, no Holy Spirit, carnage all throughout the earth, what would the earth look like? What would it look like without the Scriptures? without the Scriptures as our guide, without the Scriptures even, even in print, without any opportunity to read or understand the Scriptures, what would the world look like? And I wonder today, really, does it, does it look would it look much different? Because how many copies of the Scriptures do you own? See, the reality is, is that most people have a copy of the Scriptures in the United States, whether or not they read it or not. The Gideons have picked, they've picked up a copy from the Gideons. to give them out freely to anybody who will ask. They'll see it in the hotel room, and they'll pick it up, and they'll take it home with them, and that's okay. I mean, the the Bible is everywhere. We have it freely available throughout our nation. But so what? I have at least 30 copies myself. But so what? How do I handle the Word of God? How does the Word of God get into my life? What makes this book so special and so unique from all the other books? And again, I don't have time to go into all of this. All I can do is take you to the Scriptures and take you to the, the largest chapter in the Bible. Now some of you all know what that is immediately, and if you do, go there. Find the book of Psalms, about the middle of your Bible, just kind of open it up, about the middle of your Bible. Then find the largest chapter in all the Bible, 176 verses, find chapter 119. We're going to be there in a few moments. And I want us to think about that. That passage, and I want you to think about this entire chapter. We can't, again, we can't even begin to to unpack 176 verses in a day. But what I do want us to begin to think about is what about God's word? What about this book? What makes it so special that that I should maybe look at it in my life and to see what role it is playing? It's not. It, it is is it is greater than the Book of Mormon. It is it is holier than the Quran. You say, Mike, you're very prejudiced about that. Yes, I am. It's what I'm banking my life on. And I'll I'll say that I am am partial to this book. And I will say this. I'll even go further and just speak into Christianity. I think if we could properly unpack this book and if we will make this book a priority in our life, living and reading and heeding and memorizing and all that kind of stuff, if we will do that, we will understand the value of this book in the power of this book, in the insight of this book. We won't even understand it to speak into the Christian terms. We don't even need the Pope to speak ex cathedra and to speak in this infallible voice because we have the infallible Word of God. We don't even need somebody to come into our church and just get a new word from God. We don't need a new word from God. We don't need some kind of prophetic voice. What we need to understand is the voice that's already been spoken. And if we can just unpack this book right here and start living it in our life and matching our life up with it, then I think we're going to begin to understand the power thereof. And we'll understand how fresh and new and alive it is. Chapter uh, Psalms 119, as we look at it today, is this longest chapter in, in the Bible. And as you think about this chapter, as you think about all of it, it's really to understand it's poetic. Elements, Okay, because it's in the Old Testament, it's in the Old Testament poetry section of the Old Testament. So what does that mean? It's basically an acrostic poem. There are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And what what the writer does, who I believe is, is David, what the writer does is he takes the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and he develops stanzas, stanzas, sections of poetry for each of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. He takes every one of them, in eight verses, and you'll even notice it if you look at, in, 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 your, in your text, you'll find that in Psalm 119, verse 1, right before it begins, it starts with the word Aleph. And then it goes down to verse 9, and you see the word bait. Then you go down to verse 17, you see the word Gimel. Those are actually the Hebrew letters. And as you go through this, you see this acrostic unfolding. Now, why would David write this poetic acrostic poem? And any time you see in Hebrew poetry, and I know you really came to hear about Hebrew poetry today, any time you see an acrostic of a, of a Hebrew poetry, of the, of the Hebrew alphabet, it is speaking of completion. Let me give you another example. Proverbs 31 is another acrostic of the Hebrew uh, alphabet, and it speaks of the complete woman. Okay? So what we have here is we have the complete Scriptures, we have a complete woman in verse in Proverbs 31. It speaks of Scripture being complete. We don't need the extra. We don't need the add-on. It's as if we were to take letter A, B, C, D of our of our alphabet and to to write poetically about the Scriptures. Now, throughout this throughout this one chapter, there are many words to describe, many words to describe the Scriptures. They use the word word, law saying, statute, way, commandments, path, testimonies, precepts, and judgment. All of these just elevate for us a heightened respect for what's in this book. Now again, I I, I know today, because I know in my own heart, I struggle with being excited at times about this book. Because it's common. I have 30 copies of it. And that's not even the digital copy, copies I have. All right? That's 30 hard co- It's hard to get excited about a book that you've grown up with all your life. So what is it that should stir me about this book? How is it that it should stir me? And again, to use the movie as the, the springboard today, to think about this movie is they realize the value when you didn't have the book. Chuck Swindoll tells the story in pre-fall uh, of Soviet, uh, the Soviet Union. When John Van Dyce went to, the uh, representative of the Evangelical Christian Publishers, was allotted so many boxes, just three or four boxes, to take in to Moscow and to distribute for free at a bookseller's convention. Most of the books in this bookseller's convention were communist propaganda. But to show the world that they were free in their Christian faith, free in their communism, they allowed this evangelical Christian publishers to come into the Moscow Book Fair and to set up a display and to distribute a select number of Bibles. Well, guess what happened? There was a rush on those Bibles. They could not get enough Bibles. They couldn't bring any more Bibles in. And finally, when all the Bibles were distributed... There was one man who came up with tears in his eyes and said, do you not have one more Bible? He said, I don't have any more Bibles. I am so sorry. I wish I could give you more Bibles. There are no more Bibles. And he just went through the whole spill. And finally he said, well, can I have the box? He said, "What you? there's nothing in the box. He said, no, if I can't have the Bible, can I have the box that carried the Bible? And I think sometimes what we need to do is we need to Think about our Christian freedoms and think about in our freedoms, we have become apathetic with God's word in our busyness of life. We have taken this book and we have pushed it to the side. To the point now that we don't even open it, 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 we don't even we don't even bother with it. When we get into a crunch, we get into a situation, then we, we might turn to something then. But really, in the, in the end, we don't make this a part of our life. We don't set it as a rule of a standard for our life. I want you to understand again what Psalm 119 is doing. is He's trying to elevate this book to say, listen, we need to understand the value of this book and let it pour itself into our lives. And that maybe some of the junk in our life that we bring on and then we blame God for. He actually had a plan in this book that would have prevented the junk that got into our life had we read it and heeded it and lived by it. That maybe the junk isn't God's fault, but it's our fault because we're not living His Word. Listen to just a sampling of this, of this poem. One stanza. Psalm 119, verse 97. I'm going to read through verse 104. This is just one stanza of the, of the stanza main. It says, Oh, how I love your law. Notice the emotion. Notice the attraction. Notice the commitment. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. Let me just point out something here. He is not negating education. I have more understanding than my teachers. But let me say this to you. If all you have is your education, you don't have much. What you need is your education plus wisdom. You need your education plus direction. You need your education plus God's Word. Because God's Word, God's wisdom will help you apply your education for the good of mankind and the good of God's kingdom. So what David was saying here is, listen, I've got my training, I've got my education, but now I am now even further because I have your word. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. How sweet. Are your words to my taste sweeter than the honey to my mouth through your precepts. I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Why is it that we dabble in stupidity? It's because of that last verse. What did it say? I get understanding. Your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. It's because we don't hate stupidity. We don't hate sin. It's because we don't hate it, therefore we dabble in it, therefore we get messed up in it, therefore we end up in all this trouble in our life. But if we understood and if we loved God's Word, if we were in God's Word, if we allowed it to change our lives, then we would see the difference in our life. So what is it today that we can learn from the fictional character Eli in the movie? But what can we learn from the true life character of David? What can we learn from Him and how and ways to handle the Bible? A couple things, jot them down. Number one is while others are perverting the Word, you be protecting it. Now I'm not saying protecting it in this kind of sheltered kind of way as if nobody's going to get it. But if you watch the movie, you will see how Eli protects and honors and holds dear to his life and never separates his body and is willing to take life if it meant losing the Word. He protected the Word. And we have to understand that Satan from the Garden of Eden, you read the story, from the Garden of Eden, he has been trying to pervert God's truth. He has been trying to get us off off track of what God said. The very first words out of Satan's mouth, did God say? He immediately starts getting him to question what God said. What happens with Jesus in the wilderness? He tempts him. He tempts him with Scripture. Again, he's perverting the Word. So from Adam and Eve in the garden, a perfect place, to, to Jesus in the wilderness, a perfect man, you have constant bombardment against God's Word. How is God, how is Satan about perverting his Scriptures today? A couple of ways is reducing the Bible to just another book. If all this is, is another book in your life, a book of philosophies, a book of ideas, then you have fallen for the perversion of of Satan. That's exactly what he did with Adam and Eve. That's exactly what he tried to do with Jesus. It's exactly what he's going to try to do in your life. If this is just another book, and I don't understand it, so therefore I don't understand it, I'm just going to put it on the shelf and I'm going to put it aside. Listen, we've got to be very aware that God's Word, I believe, In the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture, that means that every word that God gave to His apostles and the writers, in the very first, I believe it was God-inerrant, inspired, infallible word. And that it is not in any way with any mixture of error and that we need to bank our lives on this. The problem is we don't know what we're banking on. We've got to realize the mystery and the history of this book. It's amazing. The Bible was written over a span of 1,500 years by 40 different generations, by more than 40 different people in all walks of life. There were kings, there were fishermen, there were farmers, there were poets, there were doctors, there were contractors, there were young, there were old. There were three different continents in three different languages. Yet I'll say this, the Bible doesn't contradict itself ethically. Theologically, doctrinally, historically, scientifically, philosophically, or morally. It is something out there. It is a book out there that is better than anything on Oprah's summer reading list. All right, there may be some good books on that reading list. But I'll tell you, it is the better of anything you have out there. Get into it. It's hard. I don't understand it. Where do I start? I understand that. Listen... Don't worry about what you don't understand. Just start paying attention to what you do understand and pretty soon the part you don't understand will begin to make sense to you. Does that does that make sense? Alright? Think about it. Just start paying attention and applying what you do read and, what, and let it begin to make a difference. But we're living in a world where this belief is ever shrinking away in this post-Christian era. Again, Satan is about reducing the Bible down to just another book. But understand this, that 74% of the, uh, the residents of Arkansas and Alabama believe the Bible to be literally true. But 22% of the residents of Vermont and Massachusetts say, say that. What, what, was, what am I you? Am I picking up on Vermont and Massachusetts? No. There's a study that was published in Christianity Today. But it goes to show you across America, there is an ever-decreasing of belief that this is God's Word. And we need to be aware of that. And we need to be cautious of that. You know, if Satan can make the Bible hazy to you, to where it's questionable, and he can distort it, he's got you. But if he can't make it hazy, he'll make you lazy. Which brings me to the second way he perverts Scriptures. And when he gets you believing that hearing it but not obeying it is good enough, if he can get you just thinking that, hey, I've been to church. Hey, I read the scriptures on the screen. Hey, I, I, I can appreciate. Hey, I believe in the inerrant, infallible Word of God, even though I don't know what it means. But I believe in that. But you know, and, and occasionally I may even break it open and read it. But if I, if, if if he can get us to think that if we can just hear it, but not obey it, then that's okay. But I tell you, there is great indignation in the heart of David whenever he makes this statement. Hot indignation seizes me because of the wicked who forsake your law. That doesn't mean just, just forsake it and leave it on the shelf. They don't even live it. If we don't live this book, if we don't find the principles in this book and live them out, then we are missing it. And there's great it is not enough just to attend and to consume God's Word. I must to attend to God's Word and allow it to change my life. Now I have a question for you. I want you to answer this in your own heart. How has God's Word in your own time with God's Word changed your life in the past week? Have you even cracked it? Or maybe you've cracked it and read it. But how has it changed you? See, the book is constantly about changing us. You heard last week from Wade, it's about transformation that we're about. It's not about giving out religious goods and services. It's not just about attending and consuming. It's about, if, and if we're not careful, we will get into the hearing mode and we'll think that that's good enough or that was a cool story or that was a nice insight or I like that fact. And we think that that is good enough. We can maybe get a little blip, a little spark of inspiration when we're here on Sunday. And that might be good, but a spark that is not tended to will never become a flame. He can't make it hazy. He'll make us lazy. To where we think that hearing it is all I need to do. James chapter 1, verse 22 says, Be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourself. One of the names for Satan is he is a deceiver. So literally what we do is we make ourselves... The deceived. We make ourselves like Satan. When we think that I can hear it and that's all I need to do, what does God's Word teach us? How does God's Word change us? You know how God's Word can help you? God's Word can help you live a moral life. God's Word, God's Word can help you keep your marriage on track. God's Word can help you with your ethics. Verse 9 of Psalm 119, you can go back there and underscore it. It's a great verse worth memorizing. How can a man... Keep His way pure by guarding it according to Your Word. He comes right back to the Word of God. If the Word of God aren't the standards by which we're living, we are deceiving ourselves. If they're not helping to shape the way we think and move and breathe and and, and exist, there are so many decisions you make in life, guess what? God's Word can help you with the decisions you face in life. Right now, some of you are facing monstrous decisions. How are you going to handle that? How are you going to process through that? How are you going to make the right decision? How do you know God's a part of that decision? Here's another Psalm 119, 105. It says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know what I want to challenge you to do? Something that I do every day. I won't say I do it every day. But I'll say I'll do it nine days out of ten. And that is this. I'll take a chapter a day. Just start there. If you may do two chapters, do two. If you do a, a book, do a book. I don't, I don't care, but start with a chapter. And just read a chapter a day. You don't know where to start? There's so many places. Go to Proverbs. Go to Psalms. Go to John. You know, go anywhere, but I'm, there's some of these are a little easier than others. But just find a place, dive into it, read a chapter a day, and let this book begin to change you. Let Again, don't worry about what you don't understand. Just pay attention to what you do understand, and what you don't understand will begin to make sense to you in time. If you could just walk away, and I'll try to walk away with one simple sentence, one simple sentence of this is the change that God is calling me to, as I listen to it prayerfully and read it prayerfully into my life. The second second way we should handle God's Word is that while others are scavenging for life, you ought to live in the life. This book is alive. This book is unlike any other book because it is alive. This book is like any other book because it gives you life and you are able to live at a different plane and a different insight with different wisdom. It makes you wiser than your teachers. How can that be? It's because this book is alive and it gives you elements to your life that you would not have any other way. Hebrews 4.12 says it like this. The Word of God is living and active. And when you read through Psalm 119, again, probably the chapter of all the Bible that speaks highest and greatest to the, to the power of God's Word. Listen to all the times that David said again and again, he equates life with God's Word. Listen to these. Verse 25, give me life according to your Word. Give me life, verse 37, in your ways. Verse 40, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. Verse 50, your promise gives me life. Verse 107, give me life, O Lord, according to your Word. Verse 144, give me understanding that I may live. God's Word brings you life. And if in any way today, you look at your life and you see it as a desert, you see it as pillage, you see it as carnage, you see it as brokenness and lostness. Personal story, and I've told you this before. I have never in my life Got myself out of a funk. Anybody ever have a funk? Everybody get into a funk in here? Raise your hand if you've ever been in the funk. If you're not, you're lying, alright? I've never got out of a funk in my life that the Word of God was not a part of that. That true, sustainable, living, true, life-giving life Not just living and taking life and pillaging life, but true life-giving life. Living with life that breathes life. Never have I that the Word of God was not a part of that. One of the things that happens in the movie, the book of Eli, is as Denzel Washington travels out west, makes it to San Francisco, and out of all places, Alcatraz. And He doesn't begin to see life really becoming into play in the movie until you get to that place. And then Denzel knew that he had a place that he could share the book of Eli. The book of Eli, as I've identified and as you'll know in the movie, is the Bible. But here's the question. Is this book the Bible or is it the book of Mike? See, I want this book to not just be the Bible and God's Word. I want it to be the book of Mike. I want it to be the book of Larry and Jana. I want it to be the book of Sarah Lou and Chris, of Doug. I want, it to be the, I want it to be your book. I want it to be that whenever people look at your life and what you carry and how you carry your life, that truly you carry your life in such a way that when they look at you, they see the Word of God. They live it out. You're, you're so living it out and it's so transparent in you. How does that happen? How do we get to that point? How did Eli in the movie, how does David in this, in, in this passage, how do we in our life let this book? And again, I'm going to repeat a little bit of what I just said earlier, but I want to come back to it because i want to drive three things home to you of how this book can bring life to our life that gives life to other people. One is we must read it. We must read it. Verse forty-eight says, "I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love. I will meditate on your statutes." What was he saying? I love your word. I absolutely can't get away from your word. How many of y'all see this day of courting and this day of dating? Text messaging is the way that we we uh, we 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 pass love notes. Now I grew up in the in, in bc before computers so uh you know I, I we pass love notes either in class or uh or in the hallway or something like that so if y'all pass notes in school raise your hand love letters all right raise them up i want to see who really had love had a love life in school all right good uh all right so now here's another question for you of those of you who pass love notes did you keep those love notes for any any length of time, or do you read them and throw them away immediately? Okay? If you kept your love notes for any length of time, raise your hand. You still have them right here, Waltina. All right. Good. All right? Uh, Lori broke up with me one time, and I burned them all. All right? So, uh, <laughs> of course, she brought out that she has all of hers and mine, so she had more books. Uh, anyway, uh, that's another story another day. The... Um, the uh, All right, so how many of y'all still have your love notes from your mate? All right, all right, good. A few of y'all kept them. They're worth keeping, right? Now, you read those. Now, today we have text messages and you just delete them, I guess. I don't know what you do with them. But there's something about that, that there was romance. There was affection. There was emotional connection to the point that today you would keep them in a shoebox somewhere because they were to you. What if we were to take this book and to understand it as a God's love letter to us? Man, we would not stop reading it. A chapter a day, that's for the wimps. Get in there, man. you got to dive in there. It becomes God's love letter to you. Him speaking truth into your life. Please see it that way. Read it. Allow yourself to have time in it. Psalm 127 says, I love your commandments above gold and above excuse me, above gold and above fine gold. I loved it so much, God. I can't get away from them. problem is today, listen, I can't say anything today to get you excited about God's Word. I can't. I can only stir in you, hopefully, a heart of conviction, a heart of trouble, stir you up, shake you up a little bit today. But when you leave here, and you get in God's Word, and you spend that 30 minutes, that 20 minutes, that whatever, and you start writing down those little things that God teaches you, and you start living them out, and you start making decisions according to it, listen, I won't have to motivate you to read God's Word. You will realize through your life that it makes all the difference in your life. Please, I beg you, I challenge you, To read it. Make a time. Make a spot. Make a place. Make time in your your life for what you love. And let it be God's Word. Number two, memorize it. There needs to be something about this Word that brings you back hour by hour to it. It can't be just something that you pick it up on Sunday or something that you pick it up on Saturday night before you teach the children on Sunday morning. It's got to be something that is a part of you, that you're actually storing it up, packing it down. And hour by hour, it is a part of your life. Verse 11 of Psalm 119. There's so many other verses I could read from. I could read from Joshua and others. But here, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, 15, and 16. Listen to this. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. So how do you memorize it? I know I hear all the excuses. Already now, I can't memorize anything. You can if it's valuable. You know, this is the way you do it. It's going to become a daily part of your life, an hour-by-hour hour part of your life. Where literally it fits into the rhythms of your life. Now, what is it in your life that you do on a regular basis, that you do throughout the day? You may drive around in your car. You might need to take a verse every week and put it on the dash of your car. And every time, you, in the rhythm of your life, as sure as you put your key in, as sure as you buckle yourself in, you before you go, you cite your verse for the week. Put it on the dash of your car. Maybe it's in front of the mirror. You spend a lot of time maybe in front of that baby. And painting yourself up, fixing yourself up, plucking hair and all that kind of stuff. So, what is it? Put it on the screen. Put it Put it on the mirror. And let that be the place, a rhythm of your life. If you like coffee and you go to the coffee and you go to the water cooler all the time, listen, whatever it is, figure out the rhythms of your life. You eat, I like to eat. Alright? I eat regularly. One of the rhythms of my life is that when I'm memorizing a scripture before I'll eat, I will recite in my mind my scripture for that week. Figure out your rhythms. Know your rhythms. And find place hour by hour, day by day in your life where you are going to memorize Scripture. Because here's a life principle for you. Possession, having the Word, without obsession equals deception. If you own this book, but it doesn't really own you, you're not obsessed with this book, it isn't an all-consuming book in your life, it equals deception. Because you won't live it. You won't know it. You won't be able to make life's decisions based on it. The last thing that I want to emphasize again is heeding it. You must be willing and able to heed God's Word. It becomes the book of Eli. It becomes the book of Mike. It becomes the book of Jane. It becomes the book of Bob, of everybody. It becomes our book whenever we read it. I want to challenge you to read it every day. I want to challenge you to memorize it every hour. And I want to challenge you to heat it every minute. I want to challenge you to read it every day. To memorize it every hour. And to heat it every minute. Would you say that with me? Read it every day. Memorize it every hour. Heat it every minute. Again. Read it every day. Memorize it every hour. Heat it every minute. One more time. What is it about God's Word that's keeping you from it? Probably nothing. What is it about your life that's keeping you from it? Change your life. Do whatever. Ask that God would speak to you. My challenge to you this week is this. Take Psalm 119 and read it over the course of the next seven days. Alright? Just break it down. Read 25 verses a day. Break it down. Begin to read it. Find one, maybe two verses in there. Find one that really encourages you maybe to to really get into God's Word. One of these that maybe I've read, maybe stood out to you. Just find one that pops off the page and let that be the verse you memorize this next week. But every day, every hour in the rhythms of your life, you are going back to it again and again and again. And you know what? As you're reading through this, look at your life and heed it every minute. Be thinking about as you're reading through Psalm 119 over the next seven days, 25 verses a day, looking for that verse, but you're also looking for principles in your life that need to be applied. Guys, it comes back. Do we love God and do we love His Word? And if that's the happening, if that's the truth, it will be a priority of our life. Would you pray with me? I just want you to just think for a moment about Your availability and your willingness and your love for or lack thereof, I don't know where you're at for God's word. Is there space in your life? Can you cry out to God and and to say, Lord, I really want you to speak to me? Or do we even really have space in our life to hear from God? Father God, that we just ask right now that Your Word of God, Your truth, Your precepts, Your statutes, Your commandments, Your writings, Your scriptures, Lord, they would they would be alive. They would be alive in us and that, Lord, as we live, they would become a part of us to where over the next seven days, Lord, we'll, we'll turn into fourteen days, and and Lord, it takes 21 days to make a habit and to break a habit, so Lord, let it be 21 days, and then, Lord, help it just to become a part of our life, to where the life of Your Word is bringing life into our life as we're breathing life into other people's lives. Lord, help us not to just be students of Your Word, but help us guide our life. Speak, Lord, through Your Word in Jesus' name.